Our Old Testament scripture passage this evening is Genesis chapter 15, can be found in your pew Bible on page 20. Genesis chapter 15. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word. May your word, Lord, accompanied by the power of your spirit, conform us to the image of your son, renew our minds to be the mind of Christ. Fill our hearts with thankfulness and gratitude and move our hands to action, to love you and to love our neighbor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Beginning our reading in Genesis 15, hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children. So a servant of my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sand of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Our, old, our New Testament scripture passage is Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, Pew Bible, page 1751. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're going to be looking at Belgian Confession, Article 22 and 23 can be found in the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 79. Article 22 is entitled, Our Justification Through Faith in Jesus Christ. Article 23, Wherein Our Justification Before God Consists. So, we the church... Believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that to attain the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts an upright faith which embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits, appropriates him, and seeks nothing more besides him. For it must needs follow either that all things which are requisite to our salvation are not in Jesus Christ, or if all things are in him, that then those who possess Jesus Christ through faith have complete salvation in him. Therefore, for any to assert that Christ is not sufficient, but that something more is required besides him, would be too gross a blasphemy. For hence it would follow that Christ was but half a Savior. Therefore, we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone, or by faith apart from works. However, to speak more clearly, we do not mean that faith itself justifies us, For it is only an instrument with which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. But Jesus Christ, imputing to us all his merits and so many holy works which he has done for us and in our stead, is our righteousness. And faith is an instrument that keeps us in communion with him and all his benefits, which, when they become ours, ours, are more than sufficient to acquit us of our sins. In Article 23, We believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that our salvation consists in the remission of our sins for Jesus Christ's sake, and that therein our righteousness before God is implied, as David and Paul teach us, declaring this to be the blessedness of man, that God imputes righteousness to him apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we always hold fast this foundation, ascribing all the glory to God, humbling ourselves before him, and acknowledging ourselves to be such as we really are, 
without presuming to trust in anything in ourselves or in any merit of ours, relying and resting upon the obedience of Christ crucified alone, which becomes ours when we believe in him. This is sufficient to cover all our iniquities and to give us confidence in approaching to God, free in the conscience of fear, terror, and dread, without following the example of our first father, Adam, who, trembling, attempted to cover himself with fig leaves. And verily, if we should appear before God, relying on ourselves or on any other creature, though ever so little, we should, alas, be consumed. And therefore, everyone must pray with David, O Jehovah, enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight no man living is righteous. And that's the teaching of our confession. John Flavel, a famous Puritan, well-known Puritan, wrote these words. How dangerous it is to join anything of our own righteousness to the righteousness of Christ in pursuit of justification before God. Jesus Christ will never endure this. It reflects upon his work dishonorably. He will be all or none in our justification. If he has finished the work, what need is there of our additions? And if not, to what purpose are they? Can we finish that which Christ himself could not complete? Did he finish the work? And will he ever divide the glory and praise of it with us? No, no. Christ is no half-savior. It is a hard thing to bring proud hearts to rest upon Christ for righteousness. God humbles the proud by calling sinners holy from their own righteousness to Christ for their justification. John Flavel basically says that saying that we can add to what Christ has done It's prideful and arrogant in a very blasphemous way. And we'll put it in this category because Jesus, our Savior, was a carpenter. Let's say Christ built a table. And then we come up, you know these people. You're working on something, you're right. You're putting it together. And they come up and, oh, it looks good, but I think you need to make the legs a little bit longer. Or, yeah, you know, I don't really like the shape of it. Maybe we should make a round table instead of a square table. That's what we're doing when we seek to add our righteousness to the righteousness of Christ, our works to what Christ has accomplished. Accomplished. We're like that person you work with who always wants to fix the little things that you've done in their own little way. They think that they know how to put it all together the right way. But Christ's work is perfect. Our theme tonight... By faith alone, we embrace 
Christ alone. And receive our whole salvation. By faith alone, we embrace Christ alone and receive our whole salvation. First point tonight He is all we need. Second point tonight, just as if I'd. And the third point, comfort beyond measure. So let's start with this first point. He is all we need. He is all we need. Our scripture passages tonight, Genesis 15 and Romans 4, obviously go with each other. But an emphasis on Genesis 15 uh, tells us that the kind of faith that Abraham had was that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. His belief was what was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God in his old age when God said, look up at the stars, come out of your tent, look up at the stars, your descendants are going to be like the stars. And Abraham believed him and it was credited to him as righteousness. And another important part of Genesis 15 is that if you notice the covenant-making process that happens in Genesis 15, is very similar to the way that God puts Adam to sleep to make Eve. In a very real way, God's covenant with Abraham is God's way of saying, I shall accomplish this. It is none of your work, Abraham. Well, how do we know that? Because this is what God does. I want to make a covenant with you. And so Abraham gathers the animals. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And God spoke to him in that sleep. And then that flaming, smoking fire pot, representing the presence of God, was the one that passed through the animals. God says, I am the acting one in this covenant. I am the one that shall accomplish this. It is not your work. Article 22 discusses how this faith that Abraham had that was credited to him as righteousness comes to be not an amorphous faith, not, an, not a faith that was simply all Abram believed that God would give him all these descendants, but Abram's faith here is a faith in a particular descendant of Abram, Jesus Christ, through whom all the peoples of the world are blessed. 
It was Abram's faith in the coming Savior that was credited to him as righteousness. And this faith that we have in Christ that's credited as righteousness is not a partial righteousness. It is a righteousness that is complete. It's all we need found in Christ. That's what Article 22 begins with. We believe that to attain the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit creates this faith in us. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism says. Kindles in our hearts an upright faith. This is a work of God in us. Philippians says, it was not only granted for you that you would believe in Christ, but you'd also suffer for his sake. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are saved by faith through grace, and this, none of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And that word, this, is all-inclusive of what comes before. It's the faith and the grace. It's a gift. Something that the Holy Spirit kindles in us. And this upright faith embraces Jesus Christ with all his, emer- his merits, appropriates him, and seeks nothing more besides him. So this belief that Abraham had that was credited to him as righteousness is no different than the belief and the faith that we have. It is a um, holding to Christ. It is an embracing of Christ and all that Christ has. And then Article 22 goes on to give an ultimatum, or you could say a maxim, right? An either-or situation. For it must needs follow, either that all things which are requisite to our salvation are not in Jesus Christ, or if all things are in him, that then those who possess Jesus Christ through faith have complete salvation in him. My argument is that by faith alone, we embrace Christ alone and we receive our whole salvation. That means there's nothing lacking in our salvation when we embrace Christ by faith alone. In Article 22 of the Belgian Confession is making that argument. Either Christ is a perfect Savior... Or he is not. Either Christ provides all that we need for our salvation, and when we embrace him through faith alone, we receive all that we need for salvation, or there is something lacking. And this is an important argument because even though there are many varieties of the Christian faith who argue to some degree that justification um, is not uh, an acceptance of a a total and whole salvation. Even though some, many, many, uh, many Christian traditions even today would say, yes, there's faith, but There's also works 
that you have to do. Nobody wants to talk poorly about Christ. Nobody is often thinking in their minds that when you say, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus Christ, but you often have to do this, 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 and this, that really what they're saying is Christ is not a perfect Savior. What he has done is not enough. Article 22 is saying it is enough. Therefore, for any to assert that Christ is not sufficient, Christ is not perfect, what he has accomplished is not enough, but that something more is required besides him. And this is something we have to pause for, pause at. What is something more that would be required besides Christ? Um, something like, oh, I have to read my Bible every day. If I stop reading my Bible every day, then who knows what could happen to me. Um, I have to attend Mass. I have to be baptized. I have to uh, not only believe, but I have to... uh, Remain faithful. Go to confession. Attend church on a regular basis. Not saying that's bad. Just saying that is not what ensures, coupled with the work of Jesus Christ, that you are saved. We don't add anything to the work of Christ. Or as I'm often fond of quoting, and I think it was Jonathan Edwards that said this, the only thing you add to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Which really doesn't add to your salvation. It's just telling you. There are so many number of things that our sinful hearts, our prideful hearts, can plug into the work of Christ, and to think that we are doing our part in our accomplishment of salvation. That we're trying to be good people. And this article and the scriptures themselves remind us that our duty, our role, our responsibility is simply arresting and the work that Christ has accomplished. It's not an effort. That's why in Romans chapter 4, when Paul mentions what happened with Abraham in Genesis 15, Abraham was not justified by works. He did not have anything to boast about. The scripture says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Paul gives a very good example here about what I'm talking about. Now, when a man works, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift. They are his due. 
It's an obligation to pay somebody who works for you. But that is not what is accomplished in salvation. If you work, you receive a payment. That's why when you seek to give someone a gift, and they say something like, oh, how can I pay you back? How can I, how can I uh, you know, um, help, help with this? It ceases to be a gift at that point. If they pay you back for it. Or if they sneak some money into your purse when you're not looking. Nothing more is required. For any to assert that Christ is not sufficient, but that something more is required besides him. Another mediator. Other people that you pray to besides Christ. would be too gross a blasphemy. For hence it would follow that Christ was but half a Savior. Therefore we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone or by faith apart from works. Quoting from Romans chapter 3. However, to speak more clearly, we do not mean that faith itself justifies us. And this is something that needs to be clarified as well. Our belief, our believing, is not our one work. As if to say that, yes, 99.9% of salvation is accomplished by God through Jesus Christ, but our 0.1% is believing. Well, if that's not already ruled out by the fact that Article 22 says the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts an upright faith, We need to once again qualify that faith is not a work that we are doing. Faith, belief, is an instrument by which we receive, we embrace Christ, our righteousness. It's not a work. It's a medium. It's not a work It's the channel by which we receive the work of Christ. It's not something we do in order to earn salvation. It is what we do in order to receive salvation. (laughs) Finally, Article 22 ends by saying, But Jesus Christ, imputing to us all his merits and so many holy works which he has done for us in our stead, is our righteousness. And faith is an instrument that keeps us in communion with him and all his benefits, which, when they become ours, are more than sufficient to acquit us of our sins. Let's move on to this second point then. Just as if I'd... Article 23 talks about not just our justification, but 
what justification entails, what it means. Uh, We believe that our salvation consists in the remission of our sins. So, justification consists in the forgiveness of sins. For Jesus Christ's sake. That therein our righteousness before God is implied, as David and Paul teach us, declaring this to be the blessedness of man, that God imputes righteousness to him apart from works. So, in Romans chapter 4, Paul continues saying, However, to the man who does not work, when you do not work, what you're doing is you're saying, I don't have anything to bring, but I trust the God who justifies the wicked. I don't have anything to bring, but I trust that God is bringing everything. When you don't work, but you trust, it's like the person who shows up to a potluck but didn't bring anything for the potluck. You see what I'm saying? They're saying, I didn't bring anything for other people to eat and myself to eat, but I'm trusting that there are other people who brought enough food that I'll be able to eat. That's a good analogy. I just came up with it. I think that's a good one. Not that I've ever been the person who didn't bring food to a potluck. David says the same thing when he speaks in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not impute to him. So we have sins. We are all sinners. And what Psalm 32 is saying that occurred in the life of Abraham and it occurs in all who believe today is that God does not credit our sin to us. God credits Christ's righteousness to us. And he credits our sins to Christ. That's what we call the great exchange. We're the sinners. Christ is not. Christ has sin imputed to him. And that's why we say with David in Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, does not hold against him. Because our sin was counted against Christ who committed no sin. And Christ's righteousness, his perfect, faithful life is credited to us. The same apostle says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3 again. And that's why we say justification is like saying just as if I'd never sinned. What you need to understand about justification, it is not the declaration that we are not sinners. It's the declaration that we are found 
not guilty of our sin. Not because we come with a list of works and accomplishments that we've done in order to overcome the massive amounts of sin that we have committed. In fact, the Heidelberg Catechism says uh, we increase our guilt, our debt every day. It's that in this courtroom of God, we stand before him guilty. And Christ comes in and he says, I paid the penalty. I give them my perfect righteousness. They are free to go. Justification consists in the forgiveness of sins. Because in Christ's cross, our sins are punished. And in his resurrection, we receive his perfect righteousness. That in a very real sense, we are truly united to Christ. We are his body. We are one with him. So that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. This is why in article 23, Gita Debris writes, Therefore we always hold fast this foundation. What we must understand is that this is the central doctrine of the recovery of the gospel in the Reformation. This is where the church stands or falls on this teaching, on this particular biblical truth, the understanding of Christ as a perfect Savior, not a half Savior, a whole Savior, that by faith alone we embrace Christ alone and receive in Christ all his benefits, our whole salvation. This is the foundation that the reformers were returning back to and saying, this is where the gospel is. Remembering that we don't bring anything to the potluck of God's grace. He's the one that sets a table before, our, before us in the presence of our enemies. He's the one that's completed the work He's the one. And so what does this mean in our lives? This truth. So we're going to talk about that in the third point. The first thing that has to be said is that this doctrine places the emphasis in worship and in praise upon the one who truly deserves it, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Ascribing all the glory to God means that we humble ourselves. 
in all humility. Acknowledging ourselves to be such as we really are without presuming to trust in anything in ourselves or in any merit of ours. The doctrine of justification by faith, the reason why many don't like it, is because there's no glory in it for men. There's no glory in it for us. Not too long ago, a while back, uh, somebody that I knew online decided that he was going to make a, uh, a documentary about the rise of Calvinism amongst younger people. And he started a Kickstarter. And a Kickstarter is a, uh, a funding website where you can say, I've got this idea, and this is how much money I want to get. Uh, I, need to, I need to gather in order to make this film. And if you uh, pledge this much money, then you'll get this sort of gift. If you pledge this much money, you get this sort of gift. If you pledge this much money, you get this sort of gift. And I, I wanted to see this movie made. So I gave him uh, a certain amount of money that basically ensured that I would receive a t-shirt that had the logo for the movie on it. And I thought it was a cool t-shirt anyways because it said Calvinist. And I wanted to go walking around with a shirt that said Calvinist on it. <laughs> and then I would get my name listed in the credits of the movie. You know, and I like that because it's like, I've got a part in this. Like, not only do I get this cool shirt, but I get to say, I, I was somebody who invested to see this movie created. And I saw the end product of it. And, and, and you know what? What's so funny is I watched the whole movie, and then there at the end where there's these hundreds of names scrolling across the screen. You know what I did. I paused it. Because I wanted to see my name there scrolling across the screen. Look. Now, I didn't do anything to make the movie. I didn't interview people. I didn't travel. I didn't create all the art and media that went along with it. I just gave some money, and here's my name scrolling across the screen. Oh, yeah. Pat myself on the back. The human heart does not like the doctrine of justification by faith alone because there isn't a moment in it when you can pause the TV and see your name scrolling across the screen. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, declares to God be the glory alone. The only name that scrolls across the screen of God's grace in his documentary is God, God, God. Soli Deo Gloria. And so we rely, we rest upon the obedience of Christ crucified alone, which becomes ours when we believe in him. And how does this work out? Besides Soli Deo Gloria, it's a sure comfort.
Why? Because knowing that justification and the work of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover all our iniquities and to give us confidence in approaching to God frees us from fear, terror, and dread so that we can leave behind the example of our father Adam who trembled and attempted to cover himself with fig leaves. By the way, do we know that they're fig leaves? Is that what the Bible says? Say fig leaves? Because I'm always like, I wonder what those leaves were. Hmm. Fig leaves, yep. I just thought, hmm, I don't know. That doesn't sound right to me. I was wrong. See? Good thing I'm justified by Christ's work and not my own. It's sufficient to cover all our iniquities and to give us confidence in approaching to God. Freeing the conscience of fear, terror, and dread without following the example of our first father, Adam, who trembling attended him to cover himself with fig leaves. See, what that's telling us is that we don't cover ourselves. We've been covered by Christ. And verily, if we should appear before God relying on ourselves or any other creature, though ever so little, we should, alas, be consumed. What is this comfort? The comfort is that we come before God, not in our own strength, not in our own goodness, but in Because if we truly know ourselves as sinners, if we truly understand the brokenness that we have, how fearful it would be to come before an almighty and holy God standing upon our own worth and value and work and good. What justification by faith alone tells us is that we come and we stand before God not in our own work and value, but in the perfect work and value and righteousness of Christ. We are not judged. Christ was judged for us. And when, by faith alone, we embrace Christ alone, we receive our whole salvation. It's on that basis that we approach the Lord. It's on that basis we come before Him. Not in ourselves, but in Christ. You see, it's a hard thing to bring proud hearts to rest upon Christ for righteousness. But God humbles the proud by calling the sinners holy from their own righteousness to Christ for their justification. John Flavel said that. I believe it. I pray you do as well. By faith alone, we embrace Christ alone and receive our whole salvation. Amen. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that in Christ we have a perfect Savior, not a half Savior. That by the instrument of faith we embrace Christ, all his benefits, all his merits. And we find in him our righteousness. We pray, Lord, that we, by faith, would keep in communion with Christ and receive from him all that we stand in need of. May you strengthen our faith and may we know the great comfort of our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.